folks, and welcome welcome back to NTI's Japan Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Ziv Nakajimam, again, and this podcast is brought to you, among others, by Native Shark, which is an online platform for learning Japanese. And what Native Shark do is they make learning Japanese really, really simple. You log in, you click a button that says study now, and the platform then shows you exactly what you need to learn next based on your previous progress. Now, again, this is simple, but the way it's designed means that students who use Native Shark once a day for four to five months can complete the equivalent of over two years of university study. And this is not just um, them patting themselves on the back. Now that Native Shark's been in business for over a year, the results are in. So this is exactly what people are saying. Uh, just looking at a couple of posts in their community forums. And the student community, by the way, is one of the best things about the platform. So one person's writing, most productive year I've had learning Japanese. And then another one says, I've started learning over a year ago with all of these other platforms. And what I learned there is only a fraction of what I've learned on Native Shark in just three months. And then yet another one goes, in my mind, my study timeline only started with Native Shark because that's when I really started learning consistently and on and on. So yet the proofs in the pudding, it's definitely the best online course out there. And since you've heard about it here on the podcast, you also get an extra little bonus. If you sign up for their free trial uh, using the URL nativeshark.com forward slash NTI, and we'll link to it in this episode's show notes. So that's native without an E. So N-A-T-I-V shark, all one word, dot com forward slash N-T-I. You use that link to sign up and you'll get a double length free trial. So two weeks free instead of just the one. No need to put in your credit card or anything of that sort. You can just sign up, give it a shot, and chances are at the end of these two weeks, you'll already be far ahead of wherever you are with your Japanese at the moment, whether you're just starting out or you're already in knee deep. Give it a shot. Nativeshark.com forward slash NTI. Okay, so as usual, right before we get into today's episode, a few quick updates about our December business networking and games event. Firstly, as promised, we've uploaded a short YouTube video highlighting the Montan Hakata Hotel, our gorgeous event venue, as well as Fukuoka City itself. So for those of you who have never been here, feel free to hop over to our YouTube channel and have a look. We'll link to the video in this episode's show notes. Also, as you might have heard, Japan has started opening its borders to business travelers this week, which is great, but also means that our event chef, Monica, as well as the hotel itself, are both getting more and more bookings for December. So as a result, we now have an official end of registration uh, date range. So if you are thinking of booking the full room and board tickets so you can enjoy uh, Monica's fabulous cooking creations, or you've booked a room-only ticket but you're thinking of upgrading, the cutoff date for meal-inclusive tickets is 20 November, so in nine days as of this recording. After that, the full room and board option will be removed from the booking page. Similarly, the room-only option will only be available until 1 December. So daily attendance tickets only, um, for those of you living or staying elsewhere in Fukuoka, will still be available until two days before the event, but not beyond that, because the hotel does need to get guest names by then, and we will not be able to sell tickets on the door. Now, I've also noticed that flight tickets for various times of the day and night for both the 10th and the 12th of December have started to run out in particular time slots. Um, all of which to say is that if you still haven't booked your tickets, there is not much time left to do so. All right, so for today's episode, 
This is yet another recording of uh, one, the first of two calls that I've had recently with a property investor and entrepreneur from the States, originally from Puerto Rico. His wife is Japanese and they're planning to move to Japan next year, probably to Nagoya, where they're considering setting up a business similar to ours, although on a smaller and maybe more local scale for a start. So property consultancy, portfolio management, uh, purchase or sale facilitation kind of company. And he asked if he could look under the hood, so to speak, at our business to get a better idea of how we do what we do, how the market works here, um, what are some of the things that people should consider when conducting any kind of real estate related business in Japan or etc. So I was happy to oblige, thinking that that would probably generate some good in-depth discussion and content for our viewers and listeners. And I wasn't wrong. So enjoy this conversation and this look under the hood of our business model. And I'll see you again on the other side. And I'll also just record the audio separately because that gives me better quality. Okay. Awesome. So you had heaps of questions in your email, but I'll let you uh, run through the, um, the plan and the strategy and then maybe get into what you actually want to know. Okay, sure. Um, I guess I'll start by giving you just a little bit of, of my background and, and what my overarching goals are. Yep. If That sounds good? Sounds good. Okay. So um, basically, um, uh, my background in real estate is, is mostly in, in hospitality. So I, I come from a civil ser service department of defense, and I've been doing hospitality as well and academia. The past few years, are, I've spent in academia for the most part. And I've been running the hospitality business on the side. Mostly at this point, it's just a cash flow business. I, I leased it out to uh, to an operator. So okay. it's a, a small a small hotel in, in in Puerto Rico. So okay. my family is originally from there. Um, now I, I was I got married about two two and a half years ago, going on three years now. And uh, my wife, as I mentioned on the email, she's from Japan. So we're planning on relocating there this coming February. Gotcha. And um, yeah, so we, we've gotten to the point where we, you know, we have enough cash flow to, to dedicate ourselves to just becoming, you know, treating real estate more as a, as a, treating it as a profession, basically doing investments and, and starting off doing property management, at least, at least at the very beginning to kind of like get, understand the ins and outs of the market um, in Japan. So um, when you're saying um, as a profession, you're talking about providing the management service or the facilitation of a purchase or a sale as a service to other people, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Residential so I'm, real estate. I'm guessing you probably want to get one or two personal investments under your belt first kind of thing. And then once you've learned the ropes, then, okay. Just kind of like what we did about a decade ago. Good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. The same, the same exact thing. Then once I learned the ropes, then outsourcing where I see, you know, that, that it makes sense to outsource and perhaps continue to manage the, the ones that are closer to our market because we're probably going to be based out of Nagoya. Yep. Um, so um, my wife is, is from Nagoya. So um, we're going to be, the house is there. We're going to be staying in Nagoya. So it just kind of makes sense for us to start off in, in that market or the vicinity of that area. Okay. And I guess probably the first question I would ask is, um, if it's not too personal, how involved is your wife um, happy or not happy to be? Oh, we, we are in this uh, 100% total okay. partnership. We're both in it. Yeah. Cool. 
because otherwise in Japan, just because the industry specifically, but also Japan as a general rule is um, ethnocentric, not to say foreigner shy or, or uh, not to uh, be rude and say racist. So it tends to be that even if your Japanese is super fluent, um, once you try to contact um, real estate companies or property managers or anybody that you'll need to be working with, insurance companies, what have you, on a regular basis, um, they'll want to see a Japanese face and have a Japanese presence in your company. Otherwise, they tend to freak out and just enter freeze mode. Okay. Um, it's okay. a little bit different in central Tokyo, um, sometimes in central Osaka and some of the international holiday resorts where they're more used to foreigners. Um, but in Nagoya and other, other cities around the area where you might be active, um, it's going to be challenging if she's not going to be the face of the company on the Japanese side. Okay. And it's, it's it, so if, if we were to have any sort of meeting, I'm, I'm assuming, let's say we were, for example, to, to the banks and, and, and to real estate companies to have meetings. So she, she would have to be present in all of those meetings, correct? Yes, and until they get used to you and your um, corporate structure or what, like until they've done at least one deal with you, it's probably best if she does it um, alone kind of thing. Okay. Um, just let her be the face of it. And then once the relationship is established and you've started working together, then you can step in and, and she can introduce you and um, they'll get used to you kind of thing. But the initial contact, just, just to get the best best results from the people that you want to be working with, the initial contact is probably best of done um, strictly Japanese to Japanese. Okay. Okay, that's, that's good to know. Mm. Um, so at the moment, we, we've been doing a lot of research. Um, as I mentioned in the email, we've been looking a lot into the national uh, census data. Yeah. Um, well, you, as you know, I'm, I'm sure you've looked at these data many times. They're just a blocks of Excel spreadsheets. So sifting through that data can be a, a, a bit daunting. We've been managing, we've been plugging that into, a, into our own systems. Now, I wanted to, to, to know if there are other... Um, sources of data like for example here in the states you have like the national association no, of realtors no, no. Oh, there's nothing like that over there no you um for the census there's none all they have is the excel sheets either in english or in japanese that they spit out once every five years mm -hmm. um, and we do the same as you we um we compare the data we you know we sort it by growth population growth and then we look at particular city with a find function and that's about it okay um for real estate specific data um the agents that you'll be working with, the brokers, the realtors, they have access to a database called RAINS, R-E-I-N-S, okay. um, which gives them information about particular area, particular properties, buildings, um, like they can look at a particular property and see how much it was sold for on the last two, three, four, five goes. Um, and they can run more intense um, data analysis on that database, but unless they're working for you and they're on your payroll, they're probably not going to go out of their way to do that. So you can ask them specific questions about specific properties, and they'll tell you about the history of that particular property that you're interested in. But if you want them to give you... Um, area analysis i mean at most they'll be giving you um two or three samples from the nearby streets over the last five years kind of thing but they're not going to do any heavy uh, data lifting for you okay great um, and the if, only if... way around that is if um your wife wants to study for and apply for the taken license the real estate license um which is not easy 
Um, but then she will have access to that same database and she can do more on her own or to employ a Taken and pay them for their time. Okay. To do that for you. I mean, not, not as related to a particular transaction, but just um, hire one or hire one on an outsourcing basis and pay them by the hour to, to, do, to run those analysis for you. Okay. Um, I'm just thinking, but I mean... It's not uh, the realist. Uh, if you're looking for analysis of real estate trends over time, um, best way to do it is just to be in it for a few years. That'll give you a feel for your particular city and area. Because even if you look at the database, um, it's not necessarily going to be reflective of general trends in the area. Um, because some properties, like for example, in Japan, properties that are there's a very clear dichotomy be between investment properties and owner-occupied properties. I mean, there are a few that are kind of gray area, but the vast majority of them, the cash cows are going to be smaller, older studio or one-bedroom units. Okay. And they'll always be investment properties because whoever can afford to buy them will never want to live in them and vice versa. The tenants that live in them will never be able to afford to buy them. And then those are priced... Um, strictly based on the rental income that they can generate. So it's got nothing to do with what's happening in the area at the moment. If there's a tenant in there that's paying a certain amount, then that's how the property is priced on the market. So when you look at RAINS or any other data tool and you're trying to figure out if an area has gone up in value or down in value, um, you're not always going to be comparing apples to apples, even if you look at those um, individual transaction and the market price history. But um, a really good source for that sort of general trends in particular areas is uh, Mitsui Fudosan's annual real estate. I think it's Mitsui Fudosan. Let me just do a quick search for you. Mitsui Fudosan real estate statistics. I think that's the one. Yep, that's the one. So I'll send you a link to that now. Oh, great. Thank you. No worries. And they, they put out a really comprehensive um, report with a lot of tables. I mean, it's, it's graphs and Excel sheets again, but it's, it's really focused on real estate, not just uh, population. And that's pretty handy. That's, um, that's something that, but I mean, again, this sort of information is only going to be relevant if you're selling owner occupier homes. Okay. If you're selling investment properties, it's just a case of what the uh, what the rental income is. I mean, anything that's over a certain percentage can sell for more and under will sell for less. So it's not not necessarily got anything to do with the trends in Nagoya or any other area specifically. Oh, that, that's, that's very helpful. Um, uh, another question that I have since we're on the topic of, 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 of yields a little bit. Um, so right at the moment, we can only access the, the real estate online platforms. Um, are the yields showing on those on those um, platforms? Is that does that include the property management fees, or or are those exclu excluded? No. So the yields that you see in the online listings or the PDFs that agents put out, um, they've got two yields that they might be referring to. One of them is called the coupon yield, and that's probably as gross as it gets. So uh, we normally completely disregard that. Okay. And then what they list is net yield. Um, is not inclusive of property management, it's not inclusive of insurance, and it's not inclusive of the purchase costs, which can be anywhere between 5 to 
So oh, it doesn't okay. include the realtor fee, doesn't include the legal and registration fees that you would need to pay, doesn't include the purchase tax, which is a statement that comes in anywhere from six to 24 months after settlement, and doesn't include the property management. So all it includes is the actual listing price. And if it's a condo unit that's got monthly building fees, it will also include the monthly building fees. Okay. And then they divide the... Um, I mean, they multiply the monthly minus building fees by 12 and divide it by the purchase price. Um, but if you're looking at condo units, it's probably safe to assume it's always going to be around 3 to 4% below the net yield listed. Okay. And even then, that's net. I mean, the actual figure that you're going to reach at the end of it is going to be net, but net pre-tax. So... Okay. it's not going to include your individual, like whoever the buyer is, whether they're a corporate or individual, whether they've got income in Japan or only overseas, whether they're only profiting for from property in Japan or they've got other sources of income. So that's all going to change their individual tax scenario. So okay. you can't really factor that in without knowing who the buyer is. And it also doesn't include your property tax. Um, that statement comes out once a year. You're not going to know the exact amount of the property tax until you get closer to settlement. So most of the sellers, I mean, depending on the price of the property, if it's a pricier property, there'll be more information available even before you submit an offer. But if it's one of those cheaper cash cows again, then again, the agents and the sellers are not going to go out of their way because they're going to get an offer very quickly um, in the door. So they're not going to go out of the way providing all kinds of documents and data on the property before you actually submit an offer. So in that case, you might have to submit an offer first, and then they'll start releasing the tenant information, the building's renovation history, the uh, reserve fund pool status, and part of those documents that will start sending you away is going to be the latest property tax statement. Okay. Um, but you can, you can assume something between, depending on the price of the property and how big it is, something between half a percent to one and a half percent per annum uh, in property tax. Okay. And, and that's, that doesn't include the, the local city taxes or municipal taxes. That's, that's the, the national tax. National property tax. Uh, it's not national. It's based on the city. And, oh, it's, it's, okay. I mean, it comes out of the local tax office, but it is the normal property tax. Any residential or municipal taxes are only applied if the owner resides in Japan. Okay. So if you're going to be servicing foreign investors who don't live in Japan, they're going to be exempt from those. But in any case, those are quite low. That's not going to be making a huge uh, dent in the yield anyway. Okay. Um, and if you're buying an entire block, a whole building, meaning you're not going to be paying any monthly building fees because the whole main structural maintenance is going to be on the owner as well. There's nobody collecting. There's no owner union. In those cases, the net yield that you see on the listings are probably about one, one and a half percent off the real uh, net pre-tax. Okay, great. All right. And, and now... Our experience in the States and in Puerto Rico is that a lot of the, you know, the, the, the big deals really, we have found them word of mouth, really going, going to the neighborhoods, talking to people. Um, is it like that in Japan or you have to go through the real estate companies or because I mean, in our experience, the platforms, those deals are really, I mean, everyone has access to those deals and they're usually not, I mean, the yields are not that, that good in those, in the, you know, in those 
at the, the ad listings online yeah, there's not direct sales are not really a thing here unless you're talking um huge hotels and city office blocks like central tokyo office buildings and so forth um and these tend to go by direct contact but it's going to be quite challenging for you to enter that market and also bear in mind that if you're serving non-resident investors they don't have access to financing so those kinds of deals are usually going to be out of their reach anyway okay um anything else up to i'd say up to three four five million us that always goes through an agent okay all right um then, but what um, you will what you will get if you once you've done a deal or two with a particular realtor and um you're kind of I mean, they're aware of the fact that you're a serious investor and they'll put you on their investors um, mailing list, then you'll get listings before they hit the websites. Okay. So they'll always, I mean, not the big national companies, but usually the smaller agents or even if the big national companies, if you get close with somebody in a particular office in a particular city, then before they actually list online, they send out PDFs to their investor mailing lists. And those are going to be the same deals that you'll eventually see online, but at least you're going to have more time to make an offer before it actually hits the market. You're not going to be, because the market moves very, very quickly here. So attractive deals that are, say, under $200,000, $300,000 usually are spoken for within a day or two from listing, maybe a week at most. Wow. And wow. Anything beyond that might stay on the market for a month or two, but not more than that. So it's, it's, I mean, it's the world's second biggest property market, second only to the USA. So it does move very quickly here and prices tend to be a little bit lower than the USA, which also helps the speed of things. So it does, it does pay off to be in, um, to strike good relationships with agents and try to get to listings before they list them online. Okay. And now, um, in terms of uh, financing, um, is the like, the pre-qualification process, is, 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 is it similar to the States where you just kind of go in, um, provide your your um, income information or whatever, whatever assets you have, and they'll, they'll do that within two or three days, or, or is there a different process? In, in the um, it's a bit slower than that. That's the first thing. Second thing is uh, you have to be a resident. Okay. And you have to be a resident with an income history, a stable income history in Japan, not, not from any other country. Oh, okay. For at least, I'd say, for investments, probably best to start off with an income history of two, three years. Okay. And the other difference is that they don't care about any assets you're holding. There's no drawing on equity or any of that sort. They only care about your income history. Okay. I mean, if you're a borderline case, then yes, having other assets might tip the scales in your favor. But if you're, if you've only got assets and you want to draw on equity, there's none of that here, and they don't care about any sort of income or assets overseas, only in Japan. Okay. That's oh, the that's only gonna, qualifier. And um, then again, be a challenge. Yeah. It is, and similar to um, similar to real estate agents or any other professional. Again, you want the first contact to be done Japanese to Japanese. Uh, if okay. a guy Jin just waltzes in the bank, especially one without an income history, um, they're just going to be sucking their teeth and nodding their heads. And it's just their way of saying no before they actually say no. Okay, wow. 
um, yeah, that's going to be a challenge for for us as our income is you know uh, fully coming from 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 overseas. Yeah, um, I mean, I would establish a working business in Japan and get the business to pay you a um, stable monthly salary for two three years. Um, okay. And then, I mean, you can you can work around it by, for example, you establish a corporate presence in Japan, and then whatever business you've got overseas, just run it by invoicing it from the Japanese company if you can. Mm-hmm. And then, once you generate a cash flow for the company, you pay yourself a salary for a while. Um, better yet, um, have your wife as the CEO and pay her a salary for a while, and then in two three years' time, you'll probably be in a position. I mean. It takes more proving uh, than if you were a normal salaried employee. So it's a little bit more, uh, not challenging, but there's more hoops to jump through as a business owner as opposed to a, a person who gets salary once a month from a normal Japanese company. But it's, it's doable. So after two or three years of her getting a stable salary as the CEO of a Japanese company, then those doors will slowly open. Okay. Yeah, that's that's a yeah that's a curveball that I was not expecting. Yeah, uh, but the um the market here is pretty affordable at the entry level, so you can definitely start. I mean, establish the company, start with a few smaller cash properties that you buy just completely in cash, um, mm-hmm. because even in Nagoya you can find deals as cheap as uh, thirty forty thousand US for a studio and one bedroom apartments that are a bit older. And that's kind of like the deposit you would have to put on a typical mortgage anyway. So you might okay. want to just start with a few of those, especially if you're looking, um, like if you're thinking midterm to establish a company and get the company getting some cash flow, then set up the company, hire like a single staffer, like an office admin or what, and start putting properties and generating income under the company name. Okay. Um, and you'll want to work with an accountant because usually when people purchase properties, they want to carry the purchase costs forward. In case of a company-owned uh, property, you can carry costs forward for five years. So most, most investors who purchase property usually are happy to be tax-free for the first um, three years as individuals or five years if they bought under a company name. But in your case, if you want to speed up the process and get yourself eligible for a loan quicker, you might not want to claim everything that you can so that you can actually show taxable income under the company name. So you might want to work with an accountant on how exactly to set that plan up so that in three or five years time, you're eligible for a loan. Okay. And bear in mind that company upkeep costs and corporate tax minimum mean that you'll probably need to pay at least three four thousand dollars a year just for company upkeep okay so just make sure that whatever you're buying is worth it or alternatively if you're happy to just invest in it um, as a plan to get onto the loan earlier then maybe you can put up with that okay great that's great information um and what has your experience been like on the on the property management side, like in terms of like building relationships with uh, contractors, um, maintenance personnel, uh, product suppliers, and the like? Um, well, it depends on what you're planning to do. Again, if you're just going to be owning properties as an individual and collecting rental income, I would leave that in the hands of your property manager. Mm-hmm. So get a good property manager. Um, the most important thing is really how quickly they can populate a vacant unit. So 
even if the estimates that they get for maintenance and renovations are not that amazing, you can always insist on them getting a second estimate or just find another estimate by yourself and just make them work with that supplier. Um, but if they're really good on the renovation and maintenance and they can't place tenants when the property is vacant, that's, that's a much bigger no-no. So I would focus on finding a property manager in that city who knows what they're doing and can quickly populate units with tenants. And then the maintenance and the renovation, I mean, if you're happy with the estimates, go with them. If not, you can end up getting another one and just ask them to work with that maintenance professional. That's not an issue. Okay. And are there any cultural quirks that are no-goes when, when you're looking for different quotes or, I mean, um, something that's going to sort of get you blacklisted by one of the, the, real, the property management companies? Um, I mean, if you try to force them into doing things your way because you think you know better than them, then they might eventually just not work with you. I would trust their advice on what would be the quickest way to populate the property because they know their markets quite well and they want to make that commission on placement and they want to start getting the um, property management fees every month. Um, so they've got as much interest as you as populating the unit. So even if what they're suggesting sounds weird and not like something you do in the US, I would follow their lead on that. Um, and again, I mean, if a property stays vacant for six, eight, 10 months um, and you're not happy with their performance, you can always replace them. Um, the other thing is um, on the sale front, when you're buying a property from uh, via an agent, you can maybe try to negotiate up to 10% off. I wouldn't go beyond that because a lot of sellers um, find that offensive in Japan. Okay. And agents, if they see that you're constantly trying to uh, push them lower and lower and lower on the price, they'll stop working with you eventually. And with property management, there's no negotiations involved. I mean, if they provide, uh, th their fee will usually be 5% plus tax. So that's 5.5. And they charge a placement fee of one month when they find a new tenant. If the property is particularly difficult or the time of the year is difficult to find a tenant, then they'll suggest all sorts of ways that will cost you more out of pocket, but hopefully get a tenant quicker. Like for example, they'll suggest to raise the placement fee to two or three months because that means that they can then share the listing with other property managers. Okay. Or they might um, suggest to offer potential tenants the first month of free rent or to participate in the move-in fees, whatever. It's going to end up with you maybe if it's a more challenging time of year or if maybe if you want to try and get a higher rent, even though the average rent is now lower, then you might end up paying up to three or four months out of pocket for placement. Okay. And again, I would follow their lead on that if they think that's the best way. First off, if, they, if they're saying the average rent in that area is now lower than what it was when you purchased the unit, which often happens in Japan, um, you can either insist on the higher rent, but that'll mean a longer vacancy. Or you can try to follow their lead and yes, keep the rent as it is, but offer some sort of bonus to the tenants or to other property managers just to get a tenant in there quicker. Um, but if you insist on not offering any bonus and also maintaining the high rent, you're just not going to get a tenant. Okay. Okay. And there's no, there's not real negotiation or lowballing on like renovation and maintenance estimates. Um, if it seems a little bit higher and you couldn't find a cheaper estimate, you can ask the property manager to ask the renovation company if they can maybe try to give you a little bit of a discount on the total price. 
Um, but again, it's never going to be more than five or 10%. So okay. usually the estimate that you get is going to be in accordance with market prices. You can try to get a, maybe a cheaper one on your own, but it's not going to be hugely cheaper. Okay. Um, um, earlier, you, you touched on the, the subject of the tuck-in. Um, yep. Do you uh, do you know if around military bases are, are do do bases require uh, um, the tuck in or any sort of licensing in order to to manage the properties that are going to be leased out to military personnel or, or their dependents? Uh, yes, they'll want you to be. It's not just a. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure if property management companies require a tuck in. I think they do because they have to they have to run through a contract, a lease contract with potential tenants. So I think they probably need to have a taken or hand, but a lot of property management companies just um, hire the services of a taken whenever they, they need a lease. So I'm not sure if the bases require that you have a taken on your regular staff or if they're okay with you just hiring one when you need it. But each base does have a list, uh, like a handful of particular property management companies that are um, authorized by the base. Um, and I'm not sure how easy it is to get into those lists. Um, I've never worked with any property manager who tried that, but I know that each base only has three or four property management companies that they're working with on a regular basis. So it's not like anyone in the area can get into the list. You, you need to talk to the housing office in the base and see what they require for you to join the list. The fact that you're a um, um, gaijin facing company and the tenants the potential tenants from the base would have you to talk to is probably going to give you a leg up in the uh, approval list but whether it's some closed click or or something I, i don't know how they how they come up with their list so i'm not too sure about that one okay um when i get there i'll make sure to to look that up and hopefully we'll be able to meet and so at some point and yeah exchange notes on that happy to where in japan are you going to be Um, um, Nagoya is going to be, um, I don't know how familiar you are with, with Nagoya, with the Nanmeicho okay, area. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So uh, are there many bases around there? Oh, no, no. But, um, I mean, as I said, we're, we're in a position right now where we're, we're going to have the flexibility to travel. And if there are opportunities near bases, and I know who's near Tokyo and, um, Yokosuka, there are bases around there. So, you know, if there are opportunities that make sense to us. Well, I'm sure the housing office is not gonna. If your office location is going to be in Nagoya, they're not going to approve you as a as a. Property. Oh, you have to be. You have to. They want a local. With, yeah. Oh. They want okay. somebody who can go with tenants two, three times a week to look at the houses or apartments, and they're not going to go with an out of town company. So, okay. if you're aiming for the bases, you want to set up shop near base. Okay. Yeah. Or or use a property management company, right? Yeah, or just use one of the um, property. Instead of oh. be, being it yourself, just use a property management company. And okay. the other thing with the Taken is once you, like if you end up applying for a Taken and then your company is registered as a real estate brokerage, then any real estate agent, listing agent that you work with is um, forced by law to share their commission with you. Okay. Okay, like in our case, for example, we're avoiding getting that license because one of the first things that we say to a listing agent when we contact them is, don't worry, you can collect the commission on the buyer side and on the seller side. We're not agents. You don't need to share your commission with us. The buyers pay us separately. Okay. Like once agreement. you've got a Taken uh, license and you're a registered real estate brokerage, then you you they have to share the commission with you. So 
you can make all kinds of arrangement, whereas, you know, they charge you a facilitation fee and then they get the commission back this way, but it's, it becomes more complex. So you're not going to be able to as smoothly introduce yourself and get a relationship going with them. And obviously they'll always prefer if possible to sell direct rather than have to share their commission. Um, So just something to think about before you end up going for that license. Great. Excellent. Okay. Sorry, let me just close the window because there's some guy having a loud phone conversation outside. Yep, sorry. No, um, no, this is great. We've covered all of the, the questions that I had listed. Awesome. I mean, um, yeah, this has been great. I, I truly appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to talk to me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. And uh, if and when you're ready to start pulling the trigger, um, I can introduce you to an agency and a property management company or two um, that work in the Nagoya area. Great. Um, and then you might be able to do maybe the first couple of deals with them and see how they work. Or if you want more handholding, then we can run you through the process and just explain everything that maybe they wouldn't have the time or, or the inclination to explain in detail. Um, but we're, we're an added layer of fees. So may, maybe try them directly first and see how you go. Excellent. And you, um, you're based out of Hukuoka, right? Yeah, but again, because we're not Taken and because with Japanese, pro- so I might, might have needed to mention that. I'm not sure if your wife's aware, but in Japan, the laws are very tenant oriented. So when a property is tenanted, there's no inspections. Even when the property changes hands, nobody goes in to inspect the property or have a Nobody enters the property basically unless the tenant asks for a maintenance request. Okay. So I, I, I don't think she, she knew that. Yeah. So if you're buying something that's already tenanted, it's always, the interior is always going to be sight unseen. Wow. Okay. So from our perspective, because we work with real estate agents and with property managers, we don't deal with the tenants ourselves and we don't draw the contracts or do anything on our own. Um, And we can't enter properties to look at them when they're tenanted. So we don't really care where the deal is happening. As long as it's in Japan, we just live in Fukuoka because we like it. Excellent. Great. Yeah, we, we were actually there um, this this past eight, April. Oh, yeah, we we're down there in Hukuoka. So you're obviously not limited by the um, COVID borders, closure restrictions, anything. You've got a visa, do you? Um, yeah. Well, at the time, I was able to get through with a, with a short-term visa because I'm married to a Japanese national. And at the moment, yep. I'm getting my spouse visa processed. Awesome. Good stuff. So yeah, when when you come by next, uh, let us know. Yeah, sure thing. Sure thing. I really appreciate it again. Thank you for your time. My pleasure. Good luck. It's a nice business you're getting into. Ah, Thanks. (laughs) Have a good one. Uh, You too. Bye-bye. Right. Good conversation. I was personally happy that I could help bring light uh, on some issues that most people are often not aware of when considering purchasing investment properties in Japan, uh, including this gentleman. Hope it brought some value to you as well. And one last mention, 10 to 12 December at the Montan Hakata Hotel. The video is up. Go check it out. Registration for the full room and board options ends on 20 November in nine days. And all hotel stay option ticket registrations end on December 1st. From that point on, the only tickets available will be daily attendance tickets. No stay, no meals. 
and also flight tickets are getting scarce in case you're uh, coming in from out of town. So if you want to be pampered and enjoy the full scope of the experience, now's the time. Hop over to the events uh, webpage. It's going to be on this episode show notes and just book yourselves in. Now, before we go, we're also, as always, going to tell you and also link to our other sponsor's website. That's Hiroshi Shimizu, immigration lawyer and administrative scrivener. If you're thinking about moving here on a more permanent basis, or you're already in Japan on some sort of a temporary visa, and you want to switch to a longer term or permanent one, or if you're considering setting up a local company or a branch office of a foreign company, and you've got any sort of business or visa-related inquiries, or even if you just want to find out what your options are on any of these topics, feel free to contact Hiroshi Shimizu. You can find him at japanimmigrationexperts.com and he can help you set up a company, apply for any kind of visa, or just provide you with the best advice and extremely affordable consultation related to these topics. And he's already done that for many of our listeners. So feel free to reach out to him. Again, that's japanimmigrationexperts.com and you'll be well on your way. And that's it from us for today, folks. Hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Japan Real Estate Podcast. Do share it with your networks and please let us know what you think. So leave us a short rating or review on the iTunes store, on Spotify, or just drop us a line in the comment section of wherever you might have found this episode. We love hearing from you. Hope to have you with us again next time. And until then, have a great day or night ahead. Yoroshiku! Yoroshiku!